Amen. Thanks again, you guys, for all being here uh, this weekend. And uh, today we kick off a brand new message series that over the next uh, five or six weeks together, we're going to journey through the, the book of Colossians. Uh, you know, in, in biblical times, you couldn't just uh, reach out to a friend by text message or email. It, oftentimes, it was through written letters. And this, uh, the book of Colossians, really is one of those letters that a man wrote to a, a group of believers that were together in the city called Colossae. And so over these next weeks, we're going to look chapter by chapter uh, at some of the key themes that are included in this letter. Uh, we'll address things like leaving our old lives behind. We'll, we'll talk about marriage and relationships. Uh, in this letter, Paul addresses even parenting, the role of parents, and that could apply to grandparents as well. We'll look at uh, what God's Word has to say about the way that we work and how do we honor Jesus in all the things that we do, including our Monday through Friday. And then we'll finish the series off thinking about how we can live a life of faith among those that maybe don't yet believe, how critical that is, how important that is. But this weekend, we begin with the very opening words of this letter. And as we look at it together, I want us to, to take note of some of the, the people, the, the key players that are involved, and notice what we can already observe about who they were, about what their lives uh, looked like. And so let's dive into Colossians chapter 1 and just follow along on the screen. I'm going to read out loud. You can follow along. Uh, you can follow in your Bible app or in your opened Bible, however you want to do that. But these are Paul's word to the Colossians. It says, this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and from our brother Timothy. We are writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossae, who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. May God our Father give you grace and peace. He says, we always pray for you and we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we have heard about your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people, which comes from your confident hope of what has been reserved for you in heaven. And you have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. He says, this same good news that came to you, it's going out over all the world and it's bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day that you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful, amazing grace that we just sang about. He says, you learned about the good news from Epaphras, our beloved co-worker. He is Christ's faithful servant, and he is helping us now on your behalf. He has told, you about, he has told us about the love that you have for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. These are Paul's opening words to this group of believers. And so uh, I want us to answer really three questions this morning together. First of all, who are they? That is, 
Who is Paul? Who is Timothy? Who are these Colossian believers? Secondly, we want to answer the question, well, who is Christ Jesus? Because it says that Christ Jesus was the one that they had put their faith into. So who really is Christ Jesus? And thirdly, what does this have to do with you and I? And it's crazy to think that a, a, a letter penned in probably about 62 A.D., has something so relevant for us in Port Clinton, Ohio in 2019. Only God's Word can do that. And so we want to kind of take some time to, again, discover who are these people. First of all, Paul. Now, Paul is the author of the book of Colossians, and he was a very, very religious person that had lived much of his life, though, without a real relationship with Jesus. In fact, those of us in the room that may know more, a little bit more about Paul, uh, he was a, a very religious zealot that didn't believe in Jesus as the Messiah. And in fact, when the first Christ followers were uh, living and following Jesus, he was seeking to persecute them. He was seeking to take them out until he had a radical encounter with Jesus and God changed his life. And then Paul actually became one of the greatest spokesmen for Jesus, for the good news about Christ that ever walked the planet. Many of the pages of the New Testament in particular were written by the Apostle Paul, including this letter to the Colossians. So Paul's one of the characters. He's one of the authors that we see. But then we see uh, Timothy. Timothy was the co-author of Colossians. Oftentimes, uh, Paul wrote alongside of another brother or sister. Some, some people believe that Paul had difficulty writing because of poor eyesight. Who knows the real reason? But Timothy was a co-writer of this letter uh, to the Colossians and was a close friend, a, a ministry partner with the Apostle Paul. And then we learn about this third name that's brought up, Epaphras, one of my favorite characters in the, in the New Testament. Um, I love, in, I believe it's in Colossians chapter 3, where it talks about Epaphras as one who wrestled in prayer for God's people. But here it says, and uh, in, in actually if we look at chapter 1, verse 7, we've, we discover that Epaphras was the one that actually brought the good news of Jesus to the people at Colossae. Uh, Colossae was Epaphras' hometown, we believe. And it's like he was away and bed heard the gospel, been impacted by the Apostle Paul and this message about Jesus the Christ, and then he was so overwhelmed with it that he could not help it but go back to his hometown to share all this good news, what he had discovered in a life, in a living relationship with Jesus. And then people believed, and the church at Colossae was born. And this is Paul and Timothy's letter to them. Probably Paul had never been to Colossae, and yet he was hearing some astounding things about the people there. And that's the third group that we need to understand something about, and that was the Colossians themselves. Who are they? Uh, Colossae was in, in what's Asia Minor, a uh, modern-day Turkey area. And uh, Paul writes to them after they've been impacted by Jesus, the gospel, and God is changing their lives. And look at what he says in verse 4. For we have heard. We have heard about you. I don't know. If somebody were to shoot you a text message and said, hey, I heard something about you the other day, what, what would you think? Like, what would you be wondering? Like, when you, 
If it was me, I'd be like, what did you hear? You know, or who told you? Or, you know, or uh (laughs) uh-oh, you know. I mean, I don't know what you would think or feel, but the beginning of this letter, it's like Paul's reaching out to this group of people and saying, listen, I've heard some things about you, some really incredible things. Look at what he writes next. He says, we have heard about your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people, which comes from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. Three things that Paul specifically says he noticed and had heard about this group of people that were trying to follow Jesus in the city of Colossae. First, he says, I've heard of your faith and your faith in Christ Jesus. Secondly, your love. This unconditional, God-like love that the people had for one another that was astounding. People were taking note of this. And Paul says, I've heard about it. I've heard about you. And not only that, this, this hope that he talks about, an expectancy in this life, a trust, a, and, a, and a hope that goes beyond this life, a hope for the future. He says, the hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. They were looking forward with their lives, they had purpose and significance and meaning. And Paul says, I've heard about you guys. Amazing. As I think about those three words, faith, love, and hope, it reminds me of elsewhere that Paul wrote about these same three characteristics in what we know as the, the love chapter of the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You've probably heard this at a, at a wedding at some point in the recent past. Three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. And here Paul says that the greatest of these is love. What Paul was saying in the passage is that these are three things that last forever, for eternity. eternity. These are things that have impact far beyond us and yet have impact in the here and now in our everyday lives. Faith, hope, and love. And these were the three words that Paul says, here's what I'm hearing about you guys. Your faith, your hope, and your love. I wonder if, if somebody were to say, hey, give me three words to describe Todd Nielsen. That's me, by the way, for those of you that don't know me. Give me three words to describe Todd Nielsen. I wonder what the first three words would be that would come to their minds. Would they be those kind of rich, God-honoring words? Or would they, would they be, oh, Todd, yeah, he's, he's busy, or he's always running, or he loves his family. I mean, there could be good things, there could be, there could be negative things. Or what about, what about if somebody were to say, hey, so that church over there, the chapel, how would you describe them? First three words that come to your mind. What would people in our community say about the chapel? Would we be known as a, as a church that is filled with faith, a church that that has a, an expectant hope that carries us through this life and helps us rise above the, the struggles and the storms? Would, would, would people describe us as a, as a church, a, a group of people that have put their faith in Jesus and, and have this deep, unconditional, sacrificial love for each other and for the community around us? And these are the words that Paul uses to describe the Colossian believers. Wow. And remember that the first thing that he says is that they had put their faith in Christ Jesus. I think it was this faith 
that shaped everything else in their lives. It was their faith in Jesus that that gave them a love that went beyond their own kind of love. It was their faith in Jesus that, that gave them a hope beyond the hope that we can have as human beings when nothing else makes sense. I wonder, where's your faith today? It's very possible that you're here this weekend and Maybe you're sitting here skeptical and you say, I don't know what this book has to do with my life, or I'm not so certain about Jesus. My, I haven't put my faith and trust in Jesus. I don't know if this is real yet. I don't know if I can trust this. But in reality, all of us have faith in someone or something. We, to put our faith or our trust in something, it's to find our purpose, our hope. It's, to, it's something that we, we rely upon. It's something that we depend upon. It's something that we build our life on. Some people build their life on their family, and their faith is in their family, and family is good. But the question I'd ask is, what happens if, if things aren't going so good in the family? Or what happens when a family member betrays you? If, if our faith, if, if our whole life, if our whole trust is built just upon our family and it starts to crumble, where does that leave us? Or so, some people put their faith uh, in their abilities. Maybe it's a, 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 a sports figure and, man, they're like, hey, I got this and I'm at the top and, and life is good and they're making all kinds of money and they're throwing touchdown passes or whatever. And their faith is in their ability and it's great to believe in yourself and to have ability, but, but, but if my life is only built, if my faith and my trust is in my own abilities, what happens if I can't throw the touchdown passes anymore? What happens if I get hurt and I'm knocked out of the league? Where's my faith now? Where does that leave us? It leads us to really a bottom line truth that is so important for us to grab a hold of this weekend and that is this, the object of our faith will determine the outcome of our lives. You think about that for all of us, regardless of what you believe in Jesus. What we put our faith and trust in, it determines how we live the rest of our lives. And we can put our, our faith, our trust in a, some temporary thing, and when that temporary thing vanishes... Well, it determines the outcome of our life in that moment, doesn't it? That's why we need something so much deeper, something so much more steady. And the Colossians, they had put their faith in Christ Jesus. So the question is, even if you're here just kind of exploring and you're like, okay, tell me more. Who is this Christ Jesus then? And in their day, and you know what, in our day, People are still asking, who really is Jesus? And people have all kinds of different ideas and opinions about who Jesus was, right? Uh, some would say, well, yeah, I, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, he was, he was a great teacher. But that's all, a teacher. Or some would say, oh, Jesus, obviously he, was, he lived with great character. He had such wonderful morals, something to aspire to. Yeah, I'm good with Jesus. But that's all. Or, or some would say, yeah, Jesus was a, a prophet that came from God, but just one of many prophets, not more important than any other prophet, but somebody that did speak on God's behalf. But that's all he was. He was just a man speaking on behalf of God. So who really is Christ Jesus? And Paul 
was writing to the Colossians, combating some of the philosophies of the day and reminding the Colossians who Jesus really was, who the one that they had put their faith and trust in really was. And we find it in verses 15 through 20. Charity read these powerful words earlier in the midst of our worship. And appropriately so, many scholars and Bible commentators believe that verses 15 through 20 really came from one of the earliest hymns of the church. That they didn't just recite these lyrics, but they, they sang these words that we find, these rich truths about who Christ Jesus really is. So let's look at them together. Verse 15, Paul, say, Paul says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Do you ever wish, like, this would really help our belief, our, our faith, right? Like, if we could really, like, truly see God, right? And especially, like, as a young child, before we comprehend, like, faith and belief and what that really looks like, like, in order for us to believe, we need to be able to see it. And many of us adults, we are still wrestling with those kinds of questions of faith. How can I believe in a God that I cannot see? And yet Paul reminds us, and he reminded the Colossians, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. If, in other words, if you want to see God, you just have to look at Jesus. If you want to know how God acts, you just need to see how Jesus acts. If you want to know how, how God would handle any situation, we just have to go to the Gospels and look at Jesus. You see, the question, who is God, is answered in the person of Jesus. Jesus, we believe, was God in human form, taking on human flesh so that we really could see who God is and how he, how he lives. So he says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed, he says, before anything else was created. He is supreme over all creation. Paul is making sure that the Colossians understand that this Jesus that was born of a virgin at Christmas time that came onto the scene is not just another human being, not just another created being. He was the pre-existent one. He was, he was there before anything else was ever created. He goes on. For through him, that is through Christ Jesus, for through him God created everything. Everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things that we can see and the things that we cannot see, such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Paul is reminding the people and he's reminding us, Christ Jesus is the creator and the creator of everything. The creator of this world, the creator of us, and the creator of all the spiritual forces that we maybe cannot see. God, through Christ, created all things. Then he says, everything was created through him and for him. Now that, that little phrase is really, really significant. Because what it says is that not only was Jesus the Christ the creator, but Jesus the Christ is also the king. It wasn't just created through him and by him, but everything that was created was created for him. 
which says he's the, he's the end of all things. He's the purpose of all things. Everything finds its meaning and significance in Christ Jesus. And then he says he existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. He's not just the king, he's also the sustainer of all things. He holds everything together. You know, um, I like watching these building shows where they remodel homes and stuff, and usually what happens is they take an old home, and it's got lots of different smaller rooms, and what do they want to do? Especially in our age, like, no, no, we want a great room, a big room, right? So what do they want to do? They want to take down some walls to open up the space. And so they meet with the builder, you know, and he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, we can take that out. That's no problem. We can take that out. No problem. And then, and then inevitably, oh, no, we, we can't touch that wall. Why? It's because it's, it's a, a load-bearing wall, which says unless, unless we replace it with another significant beam that's going to hold the weight of everything else, if we pull this wall down, we knock this wall down, we, ve- we may very well lose the whole house. It may cave because so much of it is dependent upon this one load-bearing wall. And what Paul was saying to the Colossians and what he's saying to us is that Jesus is the load-bearer. He holds everything together. Listen, if Jesus were to... Everything together. Like, not just our little world, but the universe. I mean, he's the creator of gravity. Like, the reason we're still, still here and not floating out somewhere out far beyond is because God, I believe, through the forces of gravity that he created, is holding us all together. And if if for one second God took his hands away from this place we call earth, I I, I believe we would be utterly disintegrated, that, that, that we would not exist in the way that we are. He holds everything together, and not just our world and this universe, but in the worst of the worst, in the heaviest of moments, through the storm, through the storm, he is Lord. He holds us together in the midst of the storm, whatever the storm might be. And Paul's reminding the people and he's reminding us, this is who Christ Jesus is. He's not just some moral teacher. He's not some, some guy with just some good ideas. He's not just a spokesman for God. He's the creator, God. And he is the sustainer of everything that is. And then he says, and Christ also is the head of the church, which is his body. He was reminding the Colossian believers as this new little local church was being formed that over and above any person that was there as a leader, as a servant to the people was Christ, the head of the church, that he's in charge. I love Pastor Bill Schroeder was our founding pastor of the chapel. And he always used to say, the real lead pastor of the chapel is Jesus. And that stands today. He puts us in different roles and responsibilities. But at the end of the day, if we aren't recognizing Jesus as the head, if we're not living in dependence on him, seeking to follow him together, man, then we, then we are lost. We live in dependence on him. So Jesus is the, the leader of the church. And then in verse 18, he says, he is the beginning of supreme over all who rise from the dead so that he is first in everything. First in everything. I love what Clinton Arnold says here. He says, what Paul had in mind, 
as he writes these words, was the rights and privileges of a firstborn son, especially the son of a monarch who would inherit ruling sovereignty. He's saying, this is who Christ Jesus is. He's not just another teacher. He's the boss. He's in charge. He's the king. He's the preeminent one. He's supposed to be first place in all things. This is who Christ Jesus is. For God, in all his fullness, was pleased to live in Christ. He was more than just a man. Jesus, Paul was saying, was God in the flesh. He was fully God. God, in all of his fullness, was pleased to live in Christ. And finally, in verse 20, Paul adds these words. He says, and through him, that is through Christ Jesus, God reconciled everything to himself. If something needs to be reconciled, it's because it's not right. It's broken. It's apart. It's, it's not whole. And this is the storyline of the Bible, and it's the storyline of history that God created. And remember, Jesus was the creator. Through him, God created all things. So Jesus created everything, but then mankind went their own way, and the relationship that was meant to be for God and humanity was severed. It was broken. And as a result, this world is broken. That's why we have all this pain and sorrow and suffering. It's why it's all such a mess, because it's broken. And so the, the creator decided, well, things are broken now, so I'm going to go and do something to fix them. I'm going to reconcile and reconcile all things. That's what he says. And how is he going to do that? By means of Christ's blood on the cross. Jesus paid it all. He paid it all so that we could all be restored, re reconciled with the one that loves us. So this Jesus the Christ, he's not just creator. He's not just king. He's not just sustainer of all things. He's not only fully God. He's also the great reconciler. I love what David Powell says. He says the word group, that this word group for reconciliation or reconciler, he says this word group finds its roots in a Hellenistic political background where it was used in the realm of diplomatic relationships. But Paul transforms this concept, he says, and instead of the guilty party initiating the process of reconciliation, which would have been the norm, okay, in the political world, he says, instead, Paul emphasizes that it is God, the offended party, that took the initiative while humans were still sinners. God, it, you, this is why it's all about Christ. He's done it all from beginning to end. And it's, he's done it all so that he could have this, this loving, real relationship with every single one of us. So what does that have to do with us? It, listen, if Christ is more than a teacher, if he's more than just um, a man of many great morals, if he's more than just a prophet, if Christ Jesus really is the Messiah, the Savior of the world, which is what the Apostle Paul was declaring, and it's what the Colossian people had believed and put their faith in, like banking their life on this, okay? This is why it makes a difference for every single one of us. 
If Jesus is creator, then that means that everything is his, that Jesus owns it all, that I need to take care of it all because it's his. That includes us. We are part of his creation. That means if Jesus is king, that means that he deserves all of our allegiance. He gets first place in all things. It means if Jesus is sustainer, that means we live in dependence on him. We need him to hold us together. We are utterly dependent upon him. And if he's really fully God, then Jesus the Christ, he deserves all of our worship. You shall worship the Lord your God and the Lord your God only. And finally, if he's the great reconciler, then we owe him our whole life. Our whole life now and our whole eternity. Because if if God had not made a move back towards us, we'd be left without any possibility of hope. This kind of hope that Paul says, hey, I've heard about this in you Colossian believers. This expectant hope, this deep love, and this faith that you have in Christ Jesus. This is the Christ Jesus that he's talking about. This is the Christ Jesus that gives that kind of love, that creates that kind of hope within the human heart that changes everything. Remember what he said, through him, through Christ Jesus, God reconciled everything, and that includes us. That's what Paul said to the Colossians, and it's included in God's word so that we can know that we too are included if we put our faith and trust in Christ. It says, this includes you, you who were once far away from God. Remember, he's writing this originally to the Colossians, the people that have this faith and love and this hope. And what Paul is saying right now is, don't forget your roots. Don't forget who you were. Don't forget where you came from, which gives hope to all of us that, that, that we too who were once far away from God. And if you're sitting here this weekend and you feel like, I feel like I'm far away from God. I don't know what I really believe. I don't know if there's hope for me. This says, you too were included here. Last weekend, I talked about loving our enemies. Remember I said we need to love and pray for our enemies because at one point we were enemies of God? Paul reiterates this here in Colossians 1. He says, for you were his enemies. You were separated from him by your own evil thoughts and actions. See, the Colossian believers, they were filled with evil thoughts and actions just like you and I can be. But something changed when they put their faith in Jesus the Christ. And he says, and yet now God has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. You guys, this, this is what changes everything. So we want to give you guys some next steps. We, we always say we're here to help people move one step closer to God and each other through Christ. And so maybe your next step, maybe you're just exploring maybe or just beginning this journey. Maybe your next step is, is to is to ask ourselves a hard question that has to do with our bottom line truth for this weekend. That if the object of my faith determines the outcome of my life, maybe I need to ask the question, am I content with how my life is? Am I always living on rocky ground? Am I, am I always up and down because my faith is, it's in some good things like family or my abilities, or, but it's not in anything that is truly rock solid. Maybe your first step 
is to, is to turn to Jesus. Maybe you just need to keep coming back and keep exploring and keep asking questions. Or maybe you need to come to our foundation class where we really dig into the, who Jesus is and all that he's done for us. Make that a, a next step in your life. Or maybe you're, you're ready to engage in your faith at another level. Maybe, uh, maybe it means memorizing our memory verse for this whole series. And we're going to quote this at the end of our service. Colossians 2, 6 through 7. And putting it to memory, letting God's word sink into our heart so that it can begin to shape our life. Maybe, maybe your next step of engagement, maybe you've, maybe you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, but you've never been baptized. And that's your next step. And at the end of, the, of November, we'll be having an awesome celebration here. And you could be a part of that, taking your next steps. And maybe, maybe you're at a place of influence and you're ready to lead some others. Just like Epaphras went back to his hometown and told the people there about Jesus and all that he had done for, for him. Maybe you're at a place to go back to your workplace or go back to your neighborhood or go back to that family member and to say, I just need to, sometime I just need to tell you about how my relationship with Jesus is changing my life because I believe there's hope for every single one of us.